Yeah, so this is the last week of our sort of low Sundays at Riverside Church. I expect you'll be seeing us in robes next week, and uh, we'll be back to the sort of normal worship and liturgical way uh, that this church is used to. But I have to say it's been sort of a nice uh, reprieve, in a sort of not quite as high level stress way for us to uh, worship this way this summer. I've been trying to share with you some of the thoughts and ways that my own life has taken in terms of what matters and what I find interest in. And today it's simply stated, it's, it's the word joy. Not so much because I have all that much joy, but mostly because I don't. But I also know that we should, according to the Bible, if we were deeply grounded in our relationship with God and we were deeply grounded in our relationship with ourselves, we would be more joyful. Today's text comes to us from the words of Jesus to his disciples. It's known as the prayer right before he is to be crucified, and he's trying to give them all that he wanted to give them at the last at the last time he had. And, and so he's pouring all of it into this, this, these words of Jesus to his disciples. It ends with a prayer. And today's text from the 15th chapter are about how he wants us to find joy by being in his presence. Jesus says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. So, yeah, where do I start on this issue of joy uh, and happiness? And assuming that you are here, all of us here are in pursuit of joy and happiness, assuming that, and that may not be a fair assumption, uh, and, and if you're not here in pursuit of that, then you can just put out, pull out your smartphones and start messing with them, which will 
assure the fact that you will not experience any joy and happiness during this time. So why was the horse so happy? This is for Howie. He lived in a stable environment. A woman walks into the bar and asks for a double entendre. The bartender gave her one. What's the use of happiness if you can't buy money with it? Got to think about that one, right? Money can't buy happiness, but, yeah, okay. Many of my remarks are going to be drawn from, uh, I think, probably my favorite book this year, and maybe for many years. It's called The Book of Joy. Uh, it's really written by the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu, and it's about a week-long visit they had together during uh, the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday person follows them around with a recorder and, and then writes out everything that was said and puts it into context, and I recommend it to you highly, the book of joy. And one reason I think that I am drawn to it is because for most of my life, to be quite honest, I've been known as being a grumpy dude. Actually, that's not exactly what I was called, but I can't use that language in the church. Grumpy was the first word. And I don't know, I didn't used to be grumpy as a kid. I just, I just started, as I grew up, I began to look at life and to take life seriously and to take myself seriously, way too seriously. And the more seriously I saw life and how more serious I saw myself, the more the grumpier I got. I was nicknamed Eeyore by some. I've heard your comments about my sermons. And there was plenty of reason to be grumpy. Look around. I mean, turn on the news or read the newspaper. And listen to the judgmentalness of our world and the criticisms that seem to be everywhere and the resentment and and bitterness. And then I decided that, you know, um, I'm tired of being grumpy because in, in the first place, grumpy is really just about me. And I don't think God wants us to be so grumpy or sad or bitter or angry. I think God wants us to be joyful. Certainly the Bible says that all through, all through the Bible. In fact, the Hebrew word for joy is a commandment. Be joyful. More than five times in the Torah, God, or the mouthpiece of God, says to the people of Israel, be joyful, as if it's something that we can choose to be, which in fact it is. I think the question is, how do we frame things in our life? I think that's the first question. How do we choose to see something? We can frame it in a negative sense and therefore find the grumpy level to go with it. We can frame it in a critical sense. We can frame it in a judgmental sense. 
We can frame it in the sense of a complete disaster, or we can choose to reframe it in the sense of something good might come out of this. There might be some grace in the midst of this. God might actually be a part of this. How this is now may not be how it will be in the future. And so if we choose to reframe things, choosing a joy response over a grumpy response, things change. All right, so you, you, you really need to do this. So listen to me in my direction. I want you to lower your heads. Just lower your heads down like you're praying. And I want you to make the grumpiest, saddest face you can make. Force your face to look grumpy and sad. Just keep pushing it. And what, you know what that feels like. Now, very slowly, very slowly, begin to move your face into a smile. Very slowly. And feel how your face changes. So when I do this exercise, inevitably, I get tickled. There's this visceral response. When I do it well as a meditation, I literally start laughing. Because when you feel the movement from the ooh, Eeyore, to the smile, something happens. Your, your body is changed. Your heart is changed. Your mind is changed. And all of the folks who know about this kind of stuff, the smart folks that I read about, the doctors and the neurobiologists and uh, all the psychologists say that there is this link between our hearts and our skin and our muscles and our sinew and our brains and everything is connected so that if we do something to affect one part of our body, our embodiment, then it affects the whole part of our embodiment. And it's true, of course, if you walk around and try to have a smile on your face, you really do feel better. You feel more joyful. It's true. It's not easy, but it's true. And that is a physiological, psychological, and spiritual experience. We have some choice in the matter. Now, apparently, there is this sort of set point for all of us in terms of how much joy and happiness we really can feel. I'm going to get to the issue of is there a difference between the two, and, and, and there are differences, but... In 1978, Philip Brickman published a landmark study that found that lottery winners over time were not, any, were not significantly any happier than those who had been paralyzed by an accident. Surprise. 
the point he was making is that we all have this sort of set point. So we may win the lottery and we're happy, happy, joy, joy for some period of time, but sooner or later we come back to the set point. Or we may have a tragic, terrible thing happen to us, but over time we are able to rise above it and come back to our set point. And our set point de determines, on some level, our joy quotient. Sounds like double predestination, really, if you think about it, that we're predestined to the amount of joy and happiness that we will experience in our life. But recent research has shown that maybe only half of that is true for us, that the other half we can determine, we can choose. Sounds like the argument between, you know, whether it, we're, we're monitored, we're, we grow by environment or we grow by our genes. Yes, both. Uh, we can't control our genes, or well, maybe at least we might be able to, but generally we can't, but we can control our response to the environment. So Sonia Lyobominsky suggests that only 50% of our happiness is determined by these immutable factors like genes and temperament. The other half is determined by a combination of our circumstances and our attitudes. And basically there are three factors, she says, that, that go into this. The ability to reframe the situation more positively. Jesus is standing before his disciples knowing that he is about to be crucified, but he always frames it in a way that there will be a joyful response to this in the end. How could it be joyful? The, in, the untold suffering that he faced, yet Jesus is saying to his disciples, my joy I give to you. The fullness of my joy I want for you as he faces the cross. The second one is the ability to experience gratitude. We can look at every event and see what we don't receive from it, or we can look at every event and find something to be grateful for. And in understanding that, and maybe writing out our gratitude exercises in the morning and at night, we might be changed. But the final choice is the one, I think, that makes us particularly Christ-like. It is the choice to be kind and generous. The choice to be kind and generous to others. Apparently there are other, some people say there are only four fundamental emotions. I mean, this could be argued all over the place. I'm not sure I agree with it. But the four fundamental emotions, the three of which are negative, fear, anger, and sadness. The fourth, joy the only positive one. But I would say that happiness is more an emotion than joy. Because I think the difference between the two is that happiness is that experience that happens to us when something, when our senses receive something that we delight in. Food, intimacy, touch, music in our ears, when our senses, when that which is our outside of us is received by us, then we can experience moments of happiness. 
And I call them moments because that's what they are. But joy is something, I think, that is deeper than that. It is a state of being. It is actually, I think it's heartfelt. It, it, it's, it goes into the deepest part of who we are. And so it might not be so much, we receive what we've wanted, and now I'm happy, but we've received what we needed, and now I'm joyful. We've received something that we didn't even expect, like grace, and now I'm joyful, or love, and that brings me joy, or tenderness and kindness, that brings me joy. But not as much joy, they say, as extending love and tenderness and kindness to others. For that is the great surprise, that the more we are kind and generous and and grateful for others, the more joy we experience in ourselves. That's the way for more joy, serving others, which is the complete story of Jesus and why he was able to walk the earth in every way so joyful. What happens, of course, when we are focused on serving others is that we're no longer quite so focused on ourselves. And the more we're focused on ourselves, I'm just using myself as an example, the more I'm focused on myself, the less joyful I am. The more guilty I feel, the more anxiety I feel, the more stressed I feel, the more resentment. But when I am other-focused, through kindness and generosity and gratitude and graciousness and love, the stuff in me just sort of evaporates. What fills that vacuum, of course, is joy. One of you was telling me the story last week. Uh, they were on an errand and they saw a homeless man on the side of the road. It was a pretty busy road and uh, he had a sign, uh, I, I work for food. Uh, and so she decided to go to Bono's and buy him uh, a big old bag of barbecue and all the trimmings. And, but to do that, she had to go through all this traffic and turn around and so forth and then come back in the line and found him, and when she pulled up, uh, he was, it was in the middle of the day, it was, you know, 95 degrees. He's obviously sweating terribly. He has no teeth, and, and she pulls up and hands him the bag, and he said, Bonos! He was completely joyful for this gift but not as joyful as the person was who gave it. For as she told me this story, she was in tears in the telling of it. And they were tears of joy that she could help someone that brought that kind of reaction. This thing about joy is not something that we go after so much as it is the byproduct of what we do in our lives. It comes in the wake of our caring and serving and and generosity. In the Bible, there are many words for joy and happiness, and they're used interchangeably. But I'm talking about joy here in the deep sense of the word. It's a verb. You do joy. It's not an adjective. I am joyful. 
It is a verb. You do joy. And again, you do joy by doing service for others. Compassion. Compassion. Gratitude. It's at the deepest level of our being. Which is to say that's exactly how we were created by God in the image of God. That is who we are. That is our default. Until the world begins to take over and teach us otherwise. We can find joy through faith in God. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Connect to me as I connect to you. And that we are branches to that vine and and we find an inner strength from being connected to that vine, a peace of joy. But it also comes in a sort of Buddhist way of personal introspection, of training our hearts and minds to discover that which is already in us through meditation, through awareness, yoga. I think both are probably the best way. A rabbi told a story about uh, when he was 10, his mother uh, said to him, uh, Joshua, I just wish you would be happy. I'd be happy, Mom, if you'd finally buy me a bike. Slap. What was that for? Because you made me, you made me responsible for your happiness. When you're the only one who can be responsible for your happiness. The emphatic command in the Bible is for us to be joyful over and over and over again, even in the midst of pain and suffering. And that is possible. If you've ever grieved deeply, I can guarantee there were moments in the midst of that grief where you experienced joy. Not happiness, certainly, but joy. Richard Davidson, this neuroscientist, has done some research into the unified theory of a happy brain. Sounds imposing. He says there are four independent brain circuits that influence our lasting, joyful well-being. The first is our ability to maintain a positive state. The second is the ability to recover from negative states. Resilience. The third is our ability to focus and avoid mind wandering. You know, when your brain gets hijacked by some anxiety or stress or thought that you can't get out of your head and, and it's like monkeys on a, on a forest of grapevine just running through your brain, you're hijacked. That does not lead to joy. The ability to focus on something else and avoid that does. And the fourth is the ability, as I said, to be generous. When we help others, we feel joyful. We're born this way. Joy killers, you tell me. Emotional anxiety and stress, self-judging and guilt, sadness and grief, suffering and adversity, illness and fear of death, frustration and anger, resentment, stress, fear, addictions, loneliness, and finally the focus on ourselves.
This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. From that come the fruit of the spirits. The joyful fruit of the spirits. These are mine. Joy, perspective, humility, humor, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. They're not the biblical fruit of the spirits, but they are actually, they're the book of joys kind of fruit of the spirits. Developing a strong sense of joy in ourselves and in others. And what it takes for us to get there, I think, is what brings true value in life. And it does not avoid the path of suffering and adversity. But it does give us something to get through it. Therefore, since we are so surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews said, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his right seat, his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy! It's all around us. <laughs>